হ্যালো এভরিবাডি ওয়েলকাম টু দ্য রয়্যাল বেঙ্গল টি হাউস পডকাস্ট আপনারা যারা আমাদের অনুষ্ঠানটি শুনছেন সবাইকে জানাই সাদর সম্ভাষণ আই এম ইফতি চৌধুরী আই এম আর্টিস্ট ইভেন্ট অর্গানাইজার অ্যান্ড প্রডিউসার বেসড আউট অফ নিউ ইয়র্ক সিটি রয়্যাল বেঙ্গল টি হাউস ইজ এ কমিউনিটি অফ ক্রিয়েটিভস উই হ্যাভ বিন ব্রিঙ্গিং পিপল টুগেদার ব্রেকিং ওয়ালস অ্যান্ড বিল্ডিং ব্রিজেস উইথ আওয়ার ইভেন্টস সিন্স টু থাউজেন্ড we will be exploring our identity as bengalis through conversations on cultures art and spirituality today's episode is about the mystical state of oaxaca mexico the name oaxaca spelled o a x a c a originated from the nahuatl language let me tell you a little bit about the nahuatl language it was the language of the aztec people And because of the language movement of 1952, we as Bengalis should pay special attention to the pronunciation of native words. It's spelled N-A-H-U-A-T and then L at the end. I struggled a little bit with the T and the L, but because we have a similar thing in Bengali called Juktakor, I kind of got a hang of it. In Bengali, Juktakor is the letter created from combining two or more consonants. For, for example, Jukto which in Bengali means combined, we have K and T put together. Then there is Lingo, which has N and G put together. And then there is Pushpo, which has S and P put together. With Nahuatl, the T and the L has a similar sound, but the L has like a shh sound at the end, and it's almost silent. So I think I got it right. It's pronounced Nahuatl. What's interesting about Oaxaca is that they have very vibrant indigenous Mexican traditions. One of them, which is very popular, is the Dia de los Muertos festival at the end of October. More on this at a different time. But today, we would like to tell you about a small beach town located in the state of Oaxaca of Mexico on the Pacific coast called Puerto Escondido. Puerto in Spanish means port and Escondido means hidden. is the hidden port. The Nahuatl name for this town, however, is Zicatela. When I saw Zicatela on the signs after landing at the airport, I was like, wait a minute, this sounds so much like Gigatola, which is a neighborhood in Dhaka. Zicatela, or Puerto Escondido, is a quaint beach town with a relaxing vibe, renowned for its huge ocean waves. So they host a lot of surfing competitions and surfers from around the world come here for enjoying the waves. Best way to get around Puerto Escondido is on a scooter. So I rented a scooter and uh, as soon as I had some mobility, I went exploring. I noticed the mango trees were full of mangoes. It was mango season in Oaxaca. The mangoes in Oaxaca or in Puerto Escondido that I tried were some of the best I've ever had in Latin America. They have this small yellow variety which is called Ataulfo, named after the inventor Ataulfo Morales Gordillo. And uh, then there's this another variety that's also very delicious. It's more fibrous and it's larger in size. It's usually red and green kind of in color. It's called the Tommy. As I was exploring Puerto Escondido, I heard about this phantom figure who has traveled the world, wrote a book about it, and finally settled in Puerto Escondido. And uh, not only that, he's like a musician and organizes an open mic uh, that everybody was raving about. So I had to go and check it out. And apparently, every Thursday night at a beach food court, 
and you can actually hear the ocean waves crashing and everybody gathers together under this big tree and there's an open mic organized by this guy, this American guy named Travis King. So today we are really lucky to have him join us uh, in our podcast yep. and um, welcome Travis. Thanks, man. Thanks, Ifti. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, really, really looking forward to having a conversation about, you know, your book, your life story, and then, you know, how did you end up here in uh, in Puerto Escondido? Awesome, man. Yeah, I love, I love talking about the book and my travels and Puerto. It was like some of my favorite subjects. So <laughs> let's let's talk about it, man. Yeah, cool. So where did you? Where were you born? Where you start? You were you're American. Yep. Yeah, I grew up in, I mean, I was born in Minneapolis, but I don't remember it. We moved when I was really young, but I, so I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and basically left, I, like, at some point in my 20s, I went back and got a master's degree at Marquette, and that's sort of how the book I wrote starts, with just, like, finishing that degree and then just deciding, like, now is the, the moment where sort of, like, I saw the, the window open in, the, in, in my life and in the universe to go kind of like take take a leap of faith and go abroad for a bit. I thought that at that moment it was going to be like a four or five month trip and that I would return home and like use the master's degree I just got to like start my career in the nonprofit industry. But here we are over 10 years later and yeah, I found a different path that I ended up on basically. That's awesome. So you left you left Wisconsin and what was your first trip? Where did you go? So yeah, I left. People were like asking me like, what are you doing after grad school? And I just started telling people I'm going to South America. So I, I took a flight basically into Colombia, went down through through Colombia, through Ecuador, through Peru and Bolivia. And I like made a travel family along the way. It's actually it's the first section of the book. The book my book I wrote is broken up into four sections. So South America is that is that first sort of quarter of the book. And it was a really epic life changing trip. Like we basically a bunch of us became like a really close knit travel family. I fell in love with this Australian girl named Lisa and you know we just had all these crazy adventures together. Um, so then when I flew home for for the holidays to see my family around Christmas I kind of told everybody right away like that was not enough, you know, like that, like I, you know, was sowing some of my travel oats, but like there was many more and I just really felt like, I know I felt like good at it and I felt like the world like welcomed me and I felt like I was figuring out who I was and I don't know, just gaining all these like life skills and like gaining like a different type of education, you know, like I did a two years master's degree program, but honestly, I feel like I learned more just about like myself and how the world works and, and life. Um, in, in those four months in South America than I did in, in the two-year grad program. So I was like, I'm not done. And I, and I just felt like I wanted to keep pushing myself to, to make the adventure continue on, you know? Let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about your book, right? So you said that there are four different sections. And how did you... What inspired you to write the book? So, yeah, I don't know. Like the, the book is... Um, it's a labor of love. I spent like four years on it. And basically it's like, I think at some point if you travel enough, you got people in your life that'll start to be like, when are you going to write your book? As a, you know, interesting version of a compliment sort of just be like, oh, you've been like on all these adventures, but that seed sort of got planted. And like, I've always fancied myself a pretty good writer, like even going through school and grad school, like all my professors and everything. That was always the, the one thing that I, that I knew kind of academically I was good at was just writing and being able to tell a story in a sense. And then, um, yeah, with the travels, like, I just was also, like, collecting these pretty wild travel stories. Um, you can read the back of my book and, and see sort of a little taste of some of those, but basically just lived all these different versions of life in, in different parts of the world. And and so at some point I was like, man, maybe, maybe this is a book. But I remember even, like, I just started writing. And well, well, then actually, the, the, like, the impetus that made me actually start it was 
when I was working for this travel company remote year, I was leading these retreats. I led a treat about goal setting and this, and this friend of mine, uh, Marina, she led us through a goal setting like workshop where at some point you had to say out loud to the group, like what you're going to try to get done in the next month. And you had to write out like where you see yourself a year from now. So it's kind of like a visioning exercise. And in that year out vision, I put that like I'd be working on a book. And then like when she made us set a goal for the next month, I, I had that goal be write one chapter worth reading. And I said it out loud to this group of 15 people. And I think there's some sort of magic to that too. Like if you say something out loud, it's just like, I'm not a religious person, but it's like you're saying it to God or you're saying it like into the universe. And then it's like, you, you've, for me, I'm just somebody that will hold myself accountable. So after I said that to the group, I just felt like it was out there and, and I couldn't take it back. So I, I, a week later, I remember walking to the workspace in Croatia where I was and wrote the first sentence of the book. And I remember like looking at it and be like, are you going to be a book? <laughs> like, you know, this is just like 12 words or whatever. But, you know, every book starts with the first 12 words. And, you know, it's like, uh, it's like anything. Any house gets built with one brick being the first brick, you know, and it's like that, that it felt like intimidating and daunting in the beginning, but I just, I don't know, I just kept writing it and I, was working full time for the travel company during during the first years of writing the first draft, but I just kind of had a goal of working on it a little bit at least every week, and it just kept coming along. And yeah, at the end it was like you know 120,000 words and 333 pages and, and like a really full book. So, and the book is available if uh, our audience wanted to purchase the book. Where would they be? able to find it so it's on Amazon I mean I sell it here like in Puerto in my little beach town I, I, I like ship boxes of a hundred of them to me and I have it for sale at the cafes here but the, the hard copy like the paperback or the hard copy like the hardcover those ship to like I think 10 or 12 countries or something and then it's obviously also on Kindle that was like the first version actually that I created um, so that goes to any anywhere in the world so you mentioned Croatia mm -hmm. right so what made you go from South America to what was the next stop so I'll give you like the quick tour that like the if you open the table of contents in the book the book's broken up into countries so the first section is South America it's those countries I mentioned then I, the next section was actually North America which includes Mexico where I live now it's like Mexico Guatemala down to Utila I did my dive masters on Utila so for any divers out there there's a whole big section about like going through open water and advance all the way through to dive master I really loved that my time on that island then went the, but then there I actually met some people that were doing the seasonal thing where they would go to Alaska and like try to kill it for the summer and like make 10 or 15k fishing and then spend that money traveling the world and go back to Alaska there's people that kind of have that rhythm in their life and I was Utila, like that could be cool yeah Utila actually is actually where I went to get my open oh, open water nice yeah yeah and me and my buddy James um I think it was 2014 we just you know went decided to go to Utila yeah heard about this beautiful island yeah. off the coast of Honduras and you know I don't know we just got talked into getting a open water. yeah yeah it yeah one of the best decisions of our lives like you know we I, I love scuba diving I got talked into my dive master too like I, I went there thinking I'm gonna get my open water and then this like school that I did my open water with was like listen we like having you around. We'll give you this offer. It'll give you your advanced, your your dive rescue, and your dive master. And I was like, and it was just like so cheap that I was like, all right, I'd be like an idiot not to take this deal. And then I like stayed for five months on the island and had a great time. And then I met these guys that were doing the Alaska thing. So I went to Alaska next, worked for a season, met this girl Sunny. We went to Hawaii together. Then I had always had this idea of wanting to go to Australia because I was meant to go as an undergrad is like a study abroad thing, but I tore my ACL playing soccer and whatever, it just never happened. So Australia had always been in my mind. And I was 
basically there's a lot of countries that you can do a work exchange thing with if you're somebody out there listening thinking about like ways to travel and how you might get out there even if you don't have like I just don't think money is a great excuse for not traveling right like there's so many ways that you can go into the world you just it's more I think about being brave if you're being truly honest with yourself right mm -hmm. and you can you can apply for like a work exchange before you turn 31 in a bunch of countries like Ireland Australia I think there's New Zealand there's a bunch of others but I wanted to do this Australian work work visa thing before I turned 31 I think it was like 30 at the time basically so I got my work visa went to Australia for a year and yeah then I actually like yeah worked that whole year I spent part of the time in Melbourne part of the time in Byron Bay and the second half of the trip was Byron Bay and I just fell in love with that place and like had really like an amazing community really amazing jobs that I loved so when I went home there was also like a girl involved in this part you have to read the book to 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 get the whole story but basically it just didn't work out when I went home so I just immediately I emailed all of my bosses in Australia I was like hey if I come back and I still work even if I don't have my the correct visa and they were all just like yeah sure we'll pay you cash like no worries we, we love having you on the team so I immediately got back to Australia stayed for six months then got uh, deported I got in trouble so I got like forcibly <laughs> removed from the country and they basically oh, wow. they I and I had gone to Asia to visit my buddy Pat one of my best friends for like a week you know and just to like see him because he was close by like he was in the world it felt like he was close enough where I should go go see my boy but then on the way back in that's when they caught me and kicked me out but so then they basically bl I don't know they blamed the airline somehow so then they flew me back to Malaysia where I'd flown in from and I just you know ended up in Malaysia like as a backpacker again and my life in Austra Australia was like abruptly cut short kind of thing but um but then I had a great, like the, the fourth section of the book is Southeast Asia and I got to run all over Southeast Asia with like basically all the money I was able to make in Australia, which lasted me a while. But to like the tension that I'm building through the whole book is basically, you know, like family and, and people being like, what the hell are you doing? Like you have a master's degree, why are you doing this? Instead of like a real career, or a real job or all the things that baby boomers tell us are the most important mm -hmm. things in life. Um, and I was like, I don't know, they just it didn't, I, I don't know, I didn't want to. <laughs> I wanted to live my path and like find my own way. And so there's that tension and there's also just like the actual financial tension of like traveling costs money and I was like always running out of money. But obviously in Australia I worked a bit, in Alaska I worked a bit, in Hawaii I worked a bit, I was like always trying to get money back up but going through Asia I was over the age of 31 so all the work exchange programs were kind of out of reach for me or I was I had aged myself out of those opportunities so I was like oh what do I do next and that's when I started applying for different like jobs in the travel industry because I was like I'm a uh, you know I had experience group leading growing up because I used to work with kids for a long time and do it like I was a camp counselor essentially but did a lot of group leading and then all of a sudden I had all this travel experience and I felt like really confident with the you know just like bopping around the world so I started applying for travel jobs and basically without giving too many spoilers for the end of the book I got a really great job in the travel industry and that's how I ended up in in Europe back to your original question like I I skipped the more expensive parts of the world on my solo adventures because money was a real issue for me or just like you know being able to afford the next flight and the next bed in a hostel or whatever so I skipped Europe altogether for all those years but then yeah when I was at remote year I was I ended up being the director of community for remote year this really amazing like one of the first basically travel companies for digital nomads targeted mm -hmm. at that group and I led one of their early programs I led the third ever remote year program around the world for a year like taking 70 adults to 12 countries around the world for a whole year it was wow. a super heavy job and what year was this this is way before the pandemic that would have been like yeah 2015-16 that year that I was work first working for remote year and then I stayed on basically as the director of community until the pandemic and yeah. then one day in early 2020 we all got fired like 120 of us like on the same day it was like alright makes sense I guess nobody can travel anymore and like we're a travel company so 
And actually, now they they re- recently relaunched the company after it was acquired by Selena, like the mm-hmm. the hostel brand that like you know we have here. One, yeah. of, one of those here in Puerto even. Yeah, 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 definitely. So uh, let's talk about your love for music, right? So yeah. I've heard you perform, and I was you know instantly taken. Uh, you know, you you play the guitar and you sing, uh-huh. right? Do you write your own songs? Yeah. So yeah, my, actually, my first instrument was drums. So it's still like you know, at open mic, like I always go and sit on the drums to give right. to give Jesus, our, our house drummer, like a little bit of a break here and there, because I just love like making a pocket on the drums through like you know either somebody rapping or whatever, just to create that vibe. But then I like to sing. I really I really love singing and. Um, like way back at the summer camp like I mentioned summer camp in the summer camp days I used to play like djembe with two of my buddies mm-hmm. that both played like guitar and banjo but I was kind of the lead singer for that little trio even though I was playing drums but not everybody can be Phil Collins so I was like I gotta figure out how to play an instrument that's more you know that works better with singing kind of so that, that's where I started playing guitar back in my like early 20s mm-hmm. but I still like I don't know I know like I play the guitar like a drummer like I'm like if somebody's like solo I'm like no <laughs> like, I, I'm a rhythm guitar player I can play you know really good rhythms because of the drumming background but yeah so I, and then I got more into guitar since moving to Puerto like I started taking it a little more seriously and more into like my like what a show would be if I, if I was going to play a two hour set like what songs are, are involved in that and mm-hmm. And then, yeah, like six, seven months ago, I started writing again and like writing music again. I always actually make this joke on the microphone. Like I, like for all those years traveling, I, I had like a guitar with me. I was like one of those guys that at the hostel, I could like entertain my new group of friends playing, playing my little acoustic guitar and playing fun covers. And back when I lived in New Orleans, when I first started open micing, I had written like a handful of songs and I think some of them like held up, you know, over time and they were still pretty good. So every now and then if I said like, hey, can I play you guys a song I wrote? Everybody in that moment always responds the way you'd hope. They're like, yeah, of course. But then like 10 seconds into that, you can, you can just feel like you lost the room because mm-hmm. it's like, they don't know the song. They don't know the girl that you're singing about who made you sad. They don't give a shit. And yeah. at the end, they're just, you know, they may not say it like this, but you can feel it's like, dude, just get back to Wonderwall, dude, like, play the hits, man. So, like, I just kind of gave up on writing, actually. Like, I don't know, because that experience, like, that feeling happened so often when I was traveling that I was like, all right, man, I'll just learn 100 covers and be the guy that can, like, you know, make a, make a crew have a good night drinking beers around a fire or whatever. Um, so that, And that's fun. It's, like, a really great thing to know how to play a lot of covers, like, in your own style or in a nice way, which is something I still am doing. But then I started writing. So, yeah, like, the, the songs I've been writing are kind of more, I think I find actually have something to say, too, if I'm being honest. Like, uh-huh. All of the first songs I wrote when I was in my 20s were about like heartbreak and, and girls and I like basically hadn't experienced that much so like if I was going to think about like writing a song with like actual meaning like I don't know there wasn't much beyond heartbreak and love that I had anything to say about um, so now I'm like you know most of the songs I'm writing about now are like about my life here in Puerto about like yeah like bucking the whole bucking all the pressure that the baby boomers have given all of us millennials growing up of like mm-hmm. following in their footsteps like songs about like just yeah following your own path one of the songs I wrote is called Over the Moon, which is about like taking my moonshot, which was basically me spending all of my life savings on a piece of land here in La Punta in, in Puerto, mm-hmm. that I'm like chasing this project and basically just trying to chase my own dream of, of opening my own place in my favorite place in the world mm-hmm. and trying to make a successful business out of that. And So yeah, like, I, mean, I, think I'm, I think I've actually lived enough and I've like tried enough weird things and have these like interesting perspectives that I've that I've kind of earned over over all these travels and all these years and all these like different ups and downs so now i think you know when i go to write a song i kind of have something more to say yeah 
Yeah. So you mentioned that Puerto Escondido is your favorite place in the world, and you've been to so many different places in the world, all around the world. You've been to Europe, you've been to Southeast Asia, Australia, North America, South America. Why did you choose Puerto Escondido? So that's a great question. Um, I really love it, man. There's something about Oaxaca as a state that I think is just really like authentic and you know just really not pretentious. Like there's there's. You, yeah, I don't know. There's something really just sort of magic about Oaxaca that, that I really love. And like La Punta specifically, the neighborhood that I bought the piece of land and that, that I, you know, spent my life savings on. I just really love the neighborhood of La Punta. Somebody once described it as, to me as like a one open air hostel. That's like, it's like everybody's kind of in the same vibe. Like, but it's all, you know, it's just got this kind of magical feeling. And I mentioned Byron earlier. Like I went back to Byron Bay working illegally because I loved Byron Bay. And I kind of try to explain in the book like what I loved about Byron Bay so much, but it's really like this sense of community where if I walked from like where I was staying to like the grocery store to like get some more bananas and milk or something, I would say hi to 10 people on the way. And then on the way home, I would say hi to a different 10 people. Mm-hmm. And just like, you know, giving out like slapdacks, like that surfer town greeting to everybody that you walk past. And that same thing definitely happens in Puerto. Like I used to live on the main street of La Punta on the second story. And I always tell people if I was out there to like smoke a, you know, smoke a joint or, or drink, drink a cup of coffee, like I couldn't not say hi to 15 people before that cup of coffee was finished. And I just, I like living somewhere like that. I feel like I'm, I can, if it gets a little too overwhelming sometimes, I can find respite. You know, like I, I can just go down the coast and like find an empty beach or sit under a tree and get alone. But I think if your life feels alone, it's harder to manufacture community and connectedness. So I, I like setting myself into a setting that's like very connected and like I, I can be as as much a part of that as I want to be. And then if I need to pull back because I feel my energy is a little low or like I need some alone time, I could easily get that, right? Like it's easier to get that. You can just like lock the doors of your house and stay inside your house if you want to be alone. Mm-hmm. But for me to like see my friends like for example my sister was just visiting I didn't make any plans for like my closest friends in Puerto to like meet my sister really I just was like they'll meet her like I'll go to like eat food and walk around Puerto and my friends will probably meet my sister just because we live in such a small little like connected beach town and you know like went and got tacos on Monday and she met like Nico and Gigi and Jordan and like all these people that I'm like tight with without me having to text them or like make a plan and I just like love living somewhere where it's just connected you know like it's not it's not hard to I don't know make social things happen or to feel like you're with your people or you're in community because the community here is really close so I don't know I I love that about Puerto really Incredible. Um, so let's, you know, you mentioned community, and of course, community is one of the cornerstones of Royal Bengal Tea House. We have communities. We started in New York City to build a community. Now our community has expanded beyond New York, beyond United States, beyond Latin America. It's awesome. Everywhere we go, we connect with musicians and organizers like yourself. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we have these jam sessions every month or every three months in New York. And uh, the whole concept of bringing people together through music, I found the same same kind of energy when I attended your open yeah. mic. So, if you could tell me a little bit about the open mic, how did the open yeah, mic man. come about? Yeah, and actually, it just made me think of like the other. So, like you know, I mentioned what I love about Puerto. The other thing I love about Puerto most is that it feels like any idea you have or anything you want to start will be supported by the, that community and like you can just try anything you know like I started a, an environmental organization called Sostenible PE that's like now one of the most like kind of impactful 
sustainable like mindset organizations that we have in, in Puerto and it's just something I started trying to do because I was like I want to help I love this place and again like open mic was kind of the same right it's like I used to host an open mic in Australia back in Byron Bay actually and I played open mics in like 30 or 40 countries around the world so it's just a style of like I just like making a stage and allowing people to perform I, I just feel like a lot of people have gifts and talents to share and like you know now I play these like two hour sets of music a couple times a week and it's part of how I pay my rent and everything but getting like from knowing you know your first two or three songs to having a two hour set of music there's a huge gap between there and all the people that are like somewhere in that gap before you get like a full two hour set kind of in your head memorized and you're able to do that for, for a crowd what 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 are the opportunities for the people that don't quite have all of that music and, and, and like all of that stuff memorized or whatever? So I just love open mics for that format because there's so many people that have stuff to share. So I just really wanted to like when I got here, I remember right away like noticing that there wasn't like an already well established open mic, and it's like I've like hosted open mics in the past. I love being a host. I love making a stage. I think honestly, even more than like drumming or singing or playing guitar, like my best thing with music is like hosting, like making a stage, being being somebody that brings the music community together in Puerto and like like squeezes the juice of the community and makes magical stuff happen on Thursday nights at open mic um, because yeah I just love it man. I, I love like when it, it gets a little messy and there's like different rappers waiting for the microphone and creating a cypher and you got like somebody on guitar and bass and, and drums that don't necessarily always put music together so they're just like kind of looking at each other and trying to find it and yeah, it's just, like, it can be pretty, pretty magical. And I also think, like, you know, just the level of talent that we have here. Something, too, about the way Open Mic's grown is, like, most Thursdays are, like, at least 150, sometimes 200, 250 people in high season, so it's a really big event. And I think people have a funny misconception of what Open Mic is, or maybe a true conception in certain places, but, like, I think people, when they picture Open Mic, they picture, like, a dark, sad bar with, like, one bad musician playing to, like, eight drunk people. But, like... <laughs> yeah. When you play open mic in uh, at Punta Origen here, here in, in La Punta, it's like nobody really ever gets up that's like bad. Or like sometimes I'll encourage people to be like, come on, play, like do your first song. So then it's, then it's like this feeling of like somebody performing for their first time in public. And even if they're not super amazing, you can feel that they're like putting themselves out there. They're having a vulnerable moment in a very public setting. So the crowd goes fucking wild for those people anyway. And then the other people that are a little more established, like they're playing their best few songs. They're bringing it because there's 200 people in front of them. And it usually goes off incredibly well like there's very there's very few like I don't know underwhelming performances at open mic it usually just feels like fuck yeah and then like the list runs and there's 20 people on the list and you never know what's gonna happen you get you know a beatboxer followed by like somebody doing reggaeton followed by somebody like an opera singer once you know like we get people that do all different flavors and styles of music and, and art and it just makes for like a really incredible night and yeah, we've been doing the show for over two years now, and it's crazy to think back, like, how many cool people and amazing performances we've had at Open Mic. And I think that's why the community still shows out for it, because it's like, you never, you actually never know what's going to happen. You know, I'm going to be there hosting it. You know the house band's going to be there. Um, you, you can kind of predict some of those elements, but, like, in terms of, in terms of, like, how the show's going to go, what those 20 musicians are going to do, nobody knows, including me. <laughs> you know, so that's, like, kind of why it has this ma magical feeling to it. Absolutely. No, I am... As soon as I found out about the open mic, I was looking forward to attending the next one. That was like the highlight of my week. And uh, I could completely agree with you. The amount of talent in this town. Yeah. All the participants that come to this open mic and they, and you know, I've seen rappers and amazing guitarists and drummers, incredible group of musicians who take part in this, um, this open mic. 
we organize events in um, New York City with the Royal Bengal Tea House community. And sometimes, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. Yeah. Any interesting stories that you'd like to share with our audience from the open mics? Yeah, that you of course, hosted? man, of course. Oh, man, we had one recently where this girl was like, I'm a fire spinner. Can I can I spin fire? And we've had that happen a few times. So I was like excited. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll pick a good musician for you to spin for. Like this guy, Carl Kane, who really shreds a guitar. I was like, maybe when Carl goes up, I know he's going like, to shred high energy, something you can like spin fire to. So she was like, yeah, yeah. I told her, Carl's up next. Like, get your stuff ready. I turn around and literally like, she almost burnt down Pundorian. Like she somehow like lost control of her gasoline container and it was like on the sand, like on a tree. So like we had to get a fire extinguisher out and like I could tell the people, like the audience was like, is this part of it? I was like, this is not part of the show. We're like accidentally burning down this venue. Like, but I mean, we got it under control and everything was all good and she was really apologetic. But I was like, I thought you were like a pro. You looked professional. So that was crazy. There was another night too that like two of like Literally, I'm not even trying to exaggerate. Like, two of, like, the ten best beatboxers in the whole world happen to be in Puerto. And one of them was like, I just won, like, an international beatboxing competition. And then he recognized this other guy. And he's like, that guy, I've, I've competed against him. And that guy came over and he was like, yeah, I'm, like, one of Germany's best beatboxers. So these guys did, like, a microphone pass beatbox thing to close the show down. This is, like, back at the first venue that we had open mic. But that night was just so wild. Because, you know, if you see somebody who's world-class at anything, it's cool. But beatboxing is also just, like, this mysterious kind of thing where I'm like, how are you making those, like, six different tracks coming out of your mouth like you're doing like a bass a melody a beat like all the fucking you know all the different drums that make up a drum set basically are coming out of your mouth plus like a bass guitar plus like a keyboard are all somehow coming out of your mouth so yeah that that night was really interesting um we get all we get all types of stuff one of my favorite stories actually is um from open mic is this woman faith david who's become a good friend of mine she's from new york actually and she she came down, started doing open mic. She's got this super soulful voice. She's like, you know, just got this like beautiful energy to her too. She started performing at open mic and like, you know, was really like bringing the house down. And like, at some point, like her second, third, fourth open mic, like people were like excited. You can tell like, I started putting her later on the list to like help kind of close the show in a really powerful way. And she was absolutely killing it. And then basically, long story short, she, she like lives in Puerto now, like changed her whole life. She moved from New York. She plays music like three or four times a week with a few different bands in town. And she's basically, I think she's still hung on to like part-time, you know, her, her hours at her old job from New York. But she's now basically like a professional singer who lives in Puerto Escondido because Open Mic, I don't know, gave her this opportunity to try it. And she really felt like, she really does have it though. Like she's the, she's got the kind of voice that she could like win a talent competition. I've you know? seen Faith yeah. perform. She's and incredible. I was mesmerized. Like yeah. she has such a strong voice. Yeah. It was it was really cool. I had the opportunity to meet her, walk over to her and talk to her and she was super nice. She's really nice, man. Yeah. Obviously, you know, you this is home now. You yeah. built a beautiful community of musicians and friends. What's the outlook like, you know? So, yeah, like, my day-to-day my -day now is kind of funny. It's made up of a bunch of different things. Like, I just, you know, I study Spanish, I do music, I exercise, I write. Like, I'm still trying to write. I have a Medium page and, and a Substack that I try to publish on, a, like, one, one thing once a week, so, sort of like that. Um, but then the, the other main sort of project that I have going, oh, and I have the sustainability organization that I, that I help work on. I, I do stuff for that every week. But then the other main sort of, like, business thing, I guess, or, like, the, the future, like, how I think I'm going to, retire essentially or like have enough money to keep living is the is the project that we bought the land with for um it's called sobre luna it's a co-living co-working like i mentioned i used to work for remote year and my my partner maria also we met working at remote year so 
we both are like really had like deep inroads into the global into the, like the global digital nomad community. So we're like, what if we made something really cool f- specifically for that demographic in Puerto, in this neighborhood that we love so much? So basically, that's what we've been working on since we got here. It's taken a while, you know, like just to get it like all formalized, but like now it's under construction and it's actually crazy. Like every day, if I drive past the property, there's like 20 guys working. And yeah, we have this like beautiful architectural plan and basically we're gonna try to make this space that's got like a bunch of different aspects to it. Like there's gonna be housing um, all the way from like dorm beds to really nice like villas and hotel rooms. So like a huge range of different kind of like prices for different people that want different things. And then on the other kind of part of the property, there'll be a restaurant uh, and a co-working office for 40 people. And then on another little section, there's a there's a pool and there's also gonna be like a stage area because I wanna be able to do open mic type things for that community that we're gonna be growing there. And then yeah, my my dream is like to I'm gonna live there as well. So like my dream is like to wake up every day at Sobre Luna and like, you know, light the incense and pick the right playlist and like try to make that space feel pretty like special and like make sure everybody that walks into that space feels seen, feels understood, feels part of it. And and then just like make magical things happen and like run a calendar of events for like wellness things, for professional development things, for social things. So like obviously yeah like a lot of music and like storytelling and art and all that kind of stuff but but just a place where like if you come there you'll feel part of a community and it'll be like really hard to not have a great day or a great week if you're staying with us at Silver Luna so yeah the community thing is something I've always done and I've always known I, I could do it do it pretty well and it's gonna be really exciting to be able to do it for like for our team that we're building and for our own project here in, in my favorite place. That's incredible. So. What about what about recording music? Do you look your, you know, the songs that you've written? Do you see yourself publishing an album? You know, I'm like I'm 39. I turned 40 in November, so I've, I've been saying like this is again like one of those things like you say something then you kind of feel like you have to follow through. So I've been telling people I want to get my first album done before I'm 40. I think it'll be like an EP. I basically have like six songs now that that I've written in the last six months that I like. Um, I've been trying to figure out where to record it here in Puerto. There's honestly not too many great options. Like my, my buddy Tam, who's great with music, he's a great songwriter. He was trying to start to build a little studio. I went to visit my other buddy Osab, who's a great rapper, to see if like maybe his studio space would work. But I don't know. I just I know it's like like with my book, for example. I was like. I, I had the whole like worst year of the pandemic to edit it and I reread every sentence in that book 20 times and I just had this thing of like if this is the this might be the only book I'm ever going to put out in the world so I want to be like damn sure it's as good as it can be and I want to feel like really proud of it I want to feel like excited for you know whatever future non-existent grandkid might read it to read it I just wanted to make sure it was like its highest form and that's how I feel about trying to get an album out too it's like I could record like into you know GarageBand on my Mac and like put an album out next week but I just really want it to be excellent I want there to be a lot of my favorite musicians in Puerto behind it like you know my buddy Sergio on violin and Julio on, on Cajon and whatever what you know all these other musicians that I play with so I'm just like trying to figure out how to make it good without spending Nashville money and like you know just like do it really do it in a really like good um, professional way without you know breaking the bank on it because like I said I'm not I'm not crushing it financially currently I think in the future hopefully once Sober Luna opens uh, I'll look back at these years as like my sort of Spartan years where I was cooking black beans every week and just living in a super like chill like low cost way and just getting kind of by playing playing my guitar and writing some things and whatever else But um, hopefully in the future I'll, I'll, I'll be a little less financially stressed or not have to think about it as much. But um, <laughs> somewhere in the somewhere in the meantime, I hope I can figure out how to record this album as well. But yeah, I want to get it out there. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing your story um, with us. 
with the Royal Bengal Tea House community. Um, Thanks. We welcome you to come to New York City and if you if you're ever there, please hit us up. We would love to have you at our jam session. Yeah, and uh, love that too. we wish you all the best with the, with Silver Luna and your album recording. And if you ever write a second book, you know we'll be the first one first ones to uh, look it up. Thanks, man. So thank you so much. I for already have the outline going actually for the second book. I think it'll be about this time now. Like people from Remote Year are always like, "Are you going to write a book about Remote Year?" But honestly. A couple thousand people did remote year, so it's not like this super unique, one of a kind experience. That like it was just whatever my journey. But I think this this stretch of time in Puerto of like moving somewhere that you love and trying to start your own business and like to chase this like dream. This this section of my life actually does feel like unique and interesting enough to write a book about. So I started outlining it. So yeah, book book two is on the way. Basically, if you're out there listening and, and curious. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we're. I'm very sure that a lot of um, a lot of the people who are who heard our episode today will be inspired by your stories to travel and to follow your dreams and to and to and to you know really pursue what you're passionate about thank you so much for joining us today please share our podcast with friends and family spread the word leave us a comment and if you or anyone you know would like to be on one of our episodes please hit us up see you next time abar dekha hobe সবাইকে জানাচ্ছি আন্তরিক শুভেচ্ছা আপনারা সবাই ভালো থাকুন সুস্থ থাকুন